0: Hey everyone, it's Stephanie from True Crime Anonymous. I just want to tell you about this app called Anchor. If you haven't heard about Anchor, it is the easiest way to make a podcast. Let me explain. It is free. There are creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. Anchor will distribute your podcast for you, so it can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and many more. You can make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership, and it is everything you need in a podcast in one place. Download the free Anchor app today or go to Anchor.fm to get started. True Crime Anonymous may not be suitable for all listeners. Listener discretion is advised. Hey everybody, welcome back to True Crime Anonymous. I am coming to you to give you a bonus episode today. I said that if we hit 300 listens by the morning that i would come to you with a bonus episode and guess what i woke up this morning and we were at 313 views so thank you thank you thank you thank you guys so much for all the support i now have listeners in canada in ireland and the uk and obviously the united states this is so fun people hear my voice everywhere and I love it. I My voice is worldwide. <laughs> I'm so dumb. But for today's episode, I am going to read you a story from one of my favorite books. It's called The Crime Book. And I bought it at Target. Um, and it has all sorts of different crime stories in it. <clears throat> dating back to like, hundreds of years ago super cool super neat so today i'm going to read you the story of the texas tower massacre that happened in 1966 okay so here we go the texas tower massacre at around 11 30 a.m on august 1st 1966 engineering student Charles Whitman entered the clock tower at University of Texas at Austin dressed as a maintenance man. He hit the 27 button on the elevator and waited calmly as it rose to the highest floor. He exited, pulling a hand truck behind him. On it was a footlocker containing an arsenal of weapons and a cachet of supplies. He lugged the truck up four flights of stairs to the foyer of the observation deck where he was greeted by receptionist Edna Townsley. Two strikes with a rifle but knocked her unconscious. Whitman dragged her body behind a couch and left her for dead. Brandishing two rifles, he muttered a polite hello to Cheryl Botts and Don Walden as they came in from the observation deck. The couple thought that he was there to shoot pigeons. After they left, Whitman built a makeshift barricade at the entrance of the reception area. As a family group climbing the stairs from the 27th floor approached it, he shot and killed two of them and wounded two others. Everything was now in place. Whitman walked out of, out onto the observation deck and laid out his weapons. At 11.48 a.m. shots started to ring out across an area that spanned the length of five city blocks, accompanied by clouds of gun smoke billowing from the clock tower. The first victim was a student who was eight months pregnant. She fell to the ground, and when her boyfriend tried to help her, his body was pierced by a bullet also. Whitman then picked off other students and staff members who were walking around the campus. Several were killed outright while he, while the injured fell incapacitated or hurried for cover. He then trained his sights on a street that ran along the western edge of the campus, killing or wounding more people. Hundreds of tourists, pedestrians, and store clerks witnessed the carnage as they hid behind trees, covered under office desks, or, if they had been hit, played dead. The police were called just four minutes after Whitman began his killing spree and were quickly at the scene. One officer took cover behind a column stone wall, but Whitman sighted him in the space between the columns and shot him with deadly accuracy. Active police officers in Austin were soon ordered to converge on the campus. They were joined by a number of off-duty officers, Texas Rangers, Travis County Sheriff's deputies, and citizens bearing hunting rifles. 20 minutes after Whitman had killed his first victim, the people 231 feet 70 meters below him were beginning to return fire, and he was forced to seek refuge behind the thick walls of the observation deck. Whitman was able to continue shooting through the tower's water spouts, spouts, but his range was drastically reduced. As a police marksman struggled to target Whitman from a small airplane near the tower, the sniper turned around and fired at him, causing the plane to circle away. Meanwhile, three policemen, Ramiro Martinez, Houston McCoy, and Jerry Day, decided to storm the clock tower. As they raced toward it, they were joined by armed civilian, Alan Crum, a bookstore manager and former serviceman, whom they deputized immediately. The four men entered the building and took the elevator to the top floor. Working without a coordinated plan, the men decided to surround the sniper on the deck when Crumb's file discharged accidentally, drawing... Drawing Whitman's attention to the northwest corner, Martinez began to unload his police revolver at him. McCoy raised his 12-gauge shotgun and fired twice at Whitman, blasting his head and neck full of buckshot. The officers checked the body for identification and learned the name of the man who had terrorized the town for more than 90 minutes. In the immediate aftermath of the attack, investigators traced Whitman's movements that day. They found two more victims of his crazed behavior, his wife, who had been stabbed to death in the early hours of the morning as she slept in the couple's bed, and his mother, killed in her apartment. Whitman had covered both bodies with sheets and left handwritten notes beside them. But it was Whitman's own suicide note. Typed and handwritten at 6.45 p.m. on July 31st that would offer the most clues to his state of mind. Among other things, it said, I don't, really understand, I, I don't really understand myself these days. I am supposed to be an average, reasonable, and intelligent young man. However, lately, I can't recall when it started, I have been a victim of many unusual and irrational thoughts. I talked to a doctor once, and they tried to convey him on my fears that I felt come. Overwhelming impulses. Since then, I have been fighting my mental turmoil alone, to no avail. After stating that he intended to kill his wife, Whitman continued, I don't want her to have to face the embarrassment my actions would surely cause her. I truly do not consider this world living in worth living in, and I am prepared to die, and I do not want to leave her to suffer alone in it. Similar reasons provoked me to take my mother's life. In addition to his wife and mother, Whitman killed 14 people in cold blood and wounded 31 others that day. Most of the casualties occurred in the first 20 minutes. Before the shooting, U.S. police had no policies in place for responding to an attack by what is known today as active shooter, and the event led to an overhaul of police procedures. Special weapons and tactic SWAT teams were formed nationwide. And these have been swooped into action in many similar atrocities that have taken place in the decades since 1966. That is the end of the little story. Uh, A little backstory on Charles Whitman, the shooter. Charles Joseph Whitman was born in Florida in 1941. Although a good provider, his father was a disciplinarian who beat and berated his family. Charles was a polite and intelligent child who, at the age of 12, became one of the youngest Eagle Scouts in Boy Scout history. In high school, he was a popular student but experienced medical problems. After graduation, Whitman joined the Marines, where he had earned several medals and and a sharpshooter's badge, In 1961, he began to study mechanical engineering at the University of Texas at Austin and married a year later. In 1963, he was recalled to Camp Lejeune to finish his five-year enlistment. There, he was court-martialed for keeping a a personal firearm on base and other infractions. Despite this, Whitman received an honorable discharge in 1964. Returning to the University of Texas, he started studying architectural engineering and did temporary jobs. By 1966, he was abusing amphetamines and suffering severe headaches. Sounds like maybe he had a little PTSD or some mental issues that he didn't understand, or care to understand, or didn't know how to understand, or anything, and, uh, decided to abuse infetimines. Now, um, you know, there has been so many things done on, um, brain damage and criminal violence and things like that so just a little tidbit on that the whitman case is arguably the most notable for being one of the first in which evidence of brain abnormalities could be definitely linked to violent behavior after he was gunned down whitman's body was transported to the morgue where the top of his skull was removed with a bone saw When his brain was removed, the examiner noted a tumor, roughly the size of a nickel in diameter, sprouting underneath the thalamus, which is crucially involved in awareness and consciousness. Most importantly, the tumor compressed the (laughs) amygdala, a set of neurons located deep in the brain's medial temporal lobe that play a key role in the processing of emotions. Three decades prior to Whitman's rampage, U.S. neurologist Paul Busey and German psychologist Heinrich Kluver had discovered that fearlessness dampened emotion and a propensity to overact were all associated with damaged amygdala and monkeys. Their findings provided a variable explanation for Whitman's seemingly senseless violence. So, there's that. Um, You know, and... His... He also said in his suicide note, After my death, I wish that an autopsy would be performed on me to see if there is any visible physical disorder. So, he kind of even knew that something was going on in his brain, and that might be why he was having issues and you know um I just thought it was a little bit of an interesting story to read you guys for um your bonus episode and I have a whole bunch more stories in this book I mean this book has tons and tons and tons and tons of stories um so I'm going to link this book Uh, in the description so you guys can go and look at it or buy it. It's a super awesome book. I really love it. It also looks good on my desk. Um, Again, like I say every time, I hope this one was better than the last. And Thank you so much for your support. It really means so much to us here at True Crime Anonymous. We are just so happy to see that this is starting to take off and people are really supporting us and so like us on facebook at true crime anonymous like us on instagram at true crime anonymous true crime anonymous at yahoo.com for any case suggestions um comments concerns constructive criticism whatever give us an email to say hi send us a dm to say hi um We're here for all of that. So thank you so much for your support. We love you. Buy our merch. Become a monthly supporter. Like, follow, share, support, all that good stuff. Have a great day. And I'll be at you tomorrow or the next day with a regular uh, regular upload. It's a good one. Bye.